0: Counselor educator, supervisor, and clinician specializing in sex therapy. Reika recently defended her dissertation to earn her PhD in counselor education and supervision. Congratulations. She earned her PhD from the University of Northern Colorado, UNCO, with a concentration in couples and family therapy. She has taught and co taught human sexuality at UNCO and Saybrook University both online and in person. Her dissertation and scholarship focuses on supervision of human sexuality topics, as well as pedagogy in counselor preparation specific to sex and sexuality topics. Reika has provided individual and triadic supervision in multiple formats, live, online, and in person. She has experience providing systemic supervision in EFT, narrative, person-centered, and human validation modalities in couples and family practicum. While she identifies as a counselor, educator, and supervisor, she holds a clinician identity as well as the owner of the Denver Institute for Sexual Health, and she also sees clients in a group practice in Lone Tree, Colorado once a week so she can focus on teaching and research the rest of the week. Reka enjoys working with a multidisciplinary team and allows her clinical work to inform her teaching and her students and teaching to inform her work with clients. Reika earned her master's degree in counseling psychology from Shamanad University in 2003 with a couples and family counseling concentration. She earned her Bachelor of Arts degree in psychology from Hawaii Pacific University in 2000. Her clinical work includes inpatient, outpatient, individual, couples and family work in Hawaii, Texas, and Colorado. Rega became licensed as an LPC in 2008 in Texas, and in Colorado in 2013, when she became a
1: certified sex therapist as well. Thanks for having me and for that great intro. Specific to um, supervision, my um, experiences center around a couples and family practicum with live observation, um, internship supervision, supervising first practicum, uh, one-on-one, and triadic supervision. So, really, it's been a wide range. And a lot of that has been thanks to a a rigorous doctoral program that has a very rigorous supervision program. So that's been a lot of my exposure and some of it has been in my practice. So a lot of um, different pieces are forming my thought process on this today. Can you
0: tell us a little bit more about your experience with supervision as it pertains to sexuality counseling?
1: In, In my experience, what I've seen a lot from Master's students is really this um, n- urge, this need to want to understand sex and sexuality topics and to gain comfort with it in counseling. So, whether I've been teaching or supervising, you know, students have come up to me time and time again uh, being interested in learning more about this. And it really just seems like students want to gain competence. And um, whether that's from, you know, the media or a personal interest in the topic or just wanting a sense of preparation in the topic that when, you know, clients come in wanting to have that efficacy that this is a topic that they can tackle. It's just time and time again, students have come up to me. And I think that's because I went into originally my program as a clinician and that really made students open up and say, I want to learn this. How did you learn this? How do I do it? So students are definitely communicating that they want efficacy in this topic, they want to know how do I do it? What do I say? Am I offending anyone if I bring this up? How do I bring this up well? So really that student comfort piece has just been something that I've been thinking about for years here on, you know, how do we work with that? How do we make them comfortable? And What do we do beyond giving them the answer of go back into that counseling room and ask this or say this? I mean, that's not necessarily appropriate, right? Because then the client will have an answer to that. And then how do we keep feeding the the student the answer? That's, again, we need to find a way to increase student comfort and autonomy at the same time in them developing their own way of addressing these topics with students,
0: I definitely agree. I think there's a lot of validity to what you're saying. And I just had a quick follow-up question. So you mentioned students want to know, how do I do this? How do I broach this topic without offending anyone? And it's kind of an uncomfortable topic if you haven't really talked about it before. So how do you instruct students to do that without giving them the answer, like you said? Because it's important not to just have people reciting the same thing over and over again. It's important to bring their own personality to it but how do
1: you do that? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that first and foremost, before focusing on what to do in the room, I turn the focus on the student and I try to normalize for them that They're going through, you know, a developmental phase where they're just now being exposed to clients. It's a topic where they don't necessarily have any subject matter expertise. They're switching from their student identity into uh, a clinician identity. So they have all these layers going on at the same time, which is already going to make them feel nervous enough. And they're being observed and they're being graded. There's so much going on. Now you layer sex on top of it. So, really focusing on the student a little bit and, you know, what is this like for you that this topic even came up? You know, what is your experience with this topic? How comfortable are you? So, I want to check in with the student first and foremost. And there might be an answer where the student says, Oh my goodness, I am, this is just, I'm very uncomfortable. I don't even talk about this at home, let alone with a stranger. Or there could be a lot of comfort. So really, it starts with where the student stands.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So really broaching the topic with your supervisee, with that student beforehand to get them comfortable talking about it and having that
1: conversation is the best path. That's something that's worked for me because I think that telling a student it's okay, go ahead and be comfortable. Here's a few words. Keep it open ended. We're just telling the student what to do in the room. But I think that drawing out without dipping into therapy, just drawing out where they stand, how they feel about it. And is it some students, it might be just the phrasing, the language piece, the how do I make this open ended? And what's your advice on what I take, where I take the answer, you know, something different. So it has to start with checking in. Definitely. Well,
2: and I think that Bring up a really good point of not, it's not just about application. Theory is not just about application. Micro skills are not is not just about are not just about application. It's understanding them and sort of doing this sort of reflective paraphrasing where you do it in your own way, in your own words, with your own language. But even how do you even get there? Um, you remind me of one time a student. Who uh, had a very uh, conservative religious background would say something along the lines of, "Well, one really had difficulty with discussion of LGBT and just sort of processing, working with LGBT for for the student and what that might look like, and what are some sort of the what are the barriers of the kinks on her path to becoming an effective counselor and working with LGBT." And one of the things that they had, she had said was. You would be so proud of me, Doctor Schubert. I had a client who identified as lesbian, and I was praying about it the whole time. And I was, I was able to work through it the entire time. And I, we had to talk about that because if they're in their head, reflect, you know, in prayer, then how present are they? So then the concept of effectiveness it really comes into question. Can you pray? I guess and think and be present at the same time. I'm not sure, but that was something that we had to do in supervision of just exploring what that means and
1: the pros and cons of, of, of that. Does that make sense? Absolutely. You bring up a a great point that even when a client, I mean, a, a student feels like they're doing really well, and like they said, you'd be proud of me and there still could be some work there. How present are they, and how do we how do we make them present? And that's a <clears throat> that's a really important idea to address too. Is if you're just white knuckling the session, and as a student in, uh, counselor in training, you're not comfortable. You know what do we do with that? And you know I'm a firm believer in um, no matter what the student values are or the client values are, they need to be able to hold on to it, and we need to give them permission. So I think working with the student and reminding them that, you know, if somebody helped you hold on to your values all these years, you know, how can you help the client hold on to theirs? They need you for that now. So starting to uh, broach the topic with the student as it doesn't have to be either or, doesn't matter who believes what, but maybe focusing on the tension that that client is experiencing and how can you as a human being, as a counselor in training, connect with your client, who's in distress, who needs you to hear them and understand, them, let's connect with the feeling and the process. And, and let's just forget about the topic for a moment.
2: Yeah, just what's coming up for you. Mm-hmm. And reflecting on that, working through that. And that really lends to the next question I have, which... Already started to broach, which is how do you utilize supervision to help your supervisees address any biases or assumptions um, related to sexuality? Mm-hmm.
1: So I, I I think that something that's worked for me is you know first you want to establish that alliance with the student, and you might have a supervisee where it's your first time, and you might have a supervisee who you've had a couple different times for supervision. So As a supervisor, you might have different comfort levels with different students and different alliances. So definitely working on that alliance from the get-go and letting them know on my disclosure form and from the first meeting that perhaps talking about human sexuality topics can come up if the client brings it up and giving the supervisee permission for them to bring it up as well. So just like I believe it should be brought up in clinical work from the get-go, I think in supervision work, it's helpful to bring it up from the get-go so that we explicitly say that it could be part of conversation. So then when it comes up, maybe maybe that helps uh, perhaps make it a little more comfortable already. And then really um, assessing where the student is with their own comfort level. There's two ends of the spectrum. There might be a student who's really, really uncomfortable and another student who says, oh, this is my topic. I'm super comfortable with this. And then also checking in about does that mean any kind of kind of transference? We also need to keep an eye on and what that could mean for the client relationship, because comfort and willingness does not necessarily translate into effective counseling work. So it seemingly it might be easier to work with a student who says they are so comfortable with this topic, but there could be some refinement that needs to be done there as well. So once um, I know where the student stands, once, they know that sexuality is part of the conversation. I think then we can start focusing on the experience of the client and ask the supervisee, you know, what is your understanding of what's going on with this client, not just sexually, but all the other contextual factors that are impacting that, whether it's, you know, age or ability status or all these other things, whatever model that you look at a contextual picture from. I I tend to Drawn to the Hayes model, for example, because sorry, Pamela Hayes is a dressing model. So I think the acronym is just easy for the students to remember. And so, you know, what are all these other considerations that are impacting this person's tension with their sexuality issue? And sort of start talking about it in a conceptual kind of way, and start drawing out what the client might be going through. So, so that's that's sort of a, a loose um, and flexible sequence of events that has helped for me.
0: That makes a lot of sense. I, uh, In teaching, a lot of times I teach the new counselors in their very first class in their master's program. And it's been a wonderful experience to kind of see that discomfort and see that really that desire to stay on one specific topic and focus on that topic very heavily or to jump from one topic to the next topic to the next and not get deep on anything. And I think when talking about sexuality issues and also talking about counseling in general, it's really important to tell students and supervisees to lean into that discomfort and to not be afraid to have those uncomfortable conversations. And I tell my, my new students that all the time in their initial sessions. And they're so worried about that discomfort and that ambiguity and leaning into it because it is so uncomfortable and it's so foreign. So I think that's a great point about trying to look at everything contextually and holistically as you're beginning to broach some of these uncomfortable conversations.
1: Yeah, thank you. That's yeah, it's a, a great point that student discomfort is not just with sexuality necessarily, but many topics. They're brand new to counseling, of course lots of topics are going to be uncomfortable and foreign. And I think that's a good normalizing point too, is that letting students know that right now, every topic for you is new because you're new to the field. It's not just the sex topic that's new. Yeah. I think that's so important.
0: And I think it's with students, it's really an intolerance to be intimate with another person. So early on, because they're supposed to be that, expert and they're supposed to have that, you know, ability to kind of lead someone through that. So I think just having that knowledge and that normalizing factor that it's okay to be uncomfortable with this and it's okay to lean into that and to not know everything about, you know, sexual issues or anything really.
1: Well, absolutely. And I think that um, even if our students were all trained specifically in sex and sexuality, There will still be topics and and nuances that come up that they'll never be. We can't always we can't be experts in every single thing that comes into the counseling room. So learning how to fall back on process can be really helpful.
2: Well, I think that you bring up a good point. That I believe people who have already worked specifically with issues related to sexuality is that I think we come up, come to an agreement with ourselves an acceptance that we are not going to know everything. There's no possible way to know everything. And especially when it comes to sexuality and sort of the social climate over the years. There have been things that come to the forefront that that were always there, but for fear of retaliation or discrimination, that they just were hidden from mainstream. And I, I think that's a huge part, especially when supervising individual students um, on the topic of sexuality, that I find both comforting and assuring when I'm able to clarify to them that I don't know everything you're not going to know everything and your clients aren't expecting you to know everything but being able to to sit there with intentional curiosity is really imperative definitely
0: that kind of leads me to my next question. What are some of the challenges that you see working with counselors who are providing sexuality counseling, not just with, you know, sexuality issues, but also with beginning counselors and really getting into that clinician role?
1: Yeah, I think one of them we already touched on today, and I think this is something that keeps coming up over and over again, is the values and when the values are different between the counselor and training and the client or even the values between the supervisor and the counselor and training. So I think that's always a tricky one to work with. So I think that both and attitude and adapting that, helping everybody hold on to their own and still trying to effective work. That's definitely one of the challenges and keeping in mind, I mean, for me that people are going to push our button, students, clients, it's going to happen. So, you know, it's expressing that to um, students as well, that you may not agree with what's being said, that can keep happening. And I think that
0: looking at values with a supervisee and with students is really, really important because if you know yourself, then you can be so much more effective in that counselor role. And if you don't know yourself, and if you aren't getting to know and getting in touch with your values, then there's so many blind spots that can come up and can interfere with that clinical relationship. So I think that's so important.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And supervision is such a great platform, I think, to do that because there's not always room in the classroom for that. And there's a lot more students than in supervision. So I think that that is just a great area to not be afraid to talk about with the student. And then I think another challenge is um, students perhaps feeling not as competent or confident to bring up sexual topics. And I think that that is already always overlap with the fact that there's already a question of competence for them within them because they're so new to it. They want to be competent, but this is a tricky topic on top of it. And then you know, sometimes avoidance too. And I think that maybe that's true for not just counselors in training, but counselors in general, avoiding the topic that is uncomfortable or perhaps worrying that they might seem as though it's a curiosity question more than a healing or a developmental oriented question when it comes to sex and sexuality. So yeah, a lot of um, challenges and you know, something else to keep in mind, I think, for counselor educators is that oftentimes that sexuality topic that might be tackled in supervision, that sometimes could be the only source of any kind of sexual training and education for that student, right? Because it's not present yet in every program. So I think that reflecting on that responsibility of what we do with it sometimes may be the only thing. And and being able to um, tackle multiple issues—not just heteronormative couples issues, but anything from sexual identity to even attraction—if there's client, counselor, and training, attraction, that type of thing, intersections with, you know, parenting, substance abuse, <laughs> the sexuality doesn't just stand on its own. So, I think there's a lot for supervisors to consider of what might come up without sometimes much help from coursework.
2: And I think you really, really—that's such a great point. And when you mentioned about how um, not every counselor, like this, might be the only opportunity they've had because counselors don't have that as an educational requirement, I would even take a step further and saying, who knows if they've ever even had a class at
1: all on the topic of sexuality? Definitely. And, and layer in the fact that it's still somewhat of a taboo topic. Yeah. You may not have had exposure in their family background to talking about it or in their relationship. Or maybe they've never had sex. Or even if they have, it's just there's no guiding principle on how to address it.
2: Right. And when you consider sort of that developmental component of, of learning and training, I think for many supervisees and, you know, students, counselors, all of the range. For those who haven't really done sort of the reflective work needed to really understand their own conceptualization of sexuality and all the terms related to sexuality, it's really hard to be able to know what will come up, how it will come up, how it will surface for them. One of the things that I try to do is in my classes, I try to infuse sexuality, sort of education, value reflection throughout all of my courses that I teach. And some of the basic questions I ask are, when did you know you were straight? When did you know you were a boy? When did you know you were, insert the blank of something that would seem very apparent? How did you come to that awareness? What did you see growing up in terms of PDA? What did it mean to be a man in a household? Because these things aren't specific to sexuality, but they are definitely involved in that makeup of intimacy, connection, relationship, all of
1: that. <laughs> Excellent point. And that, I think that's a you know really helpful way to help the student understand where they stand. They may have, may have never thought of it. I love those questions. Well, thank you.
2: <laughs> I think of, you know, and, and in terms of supervision, one of the other, I don't know if you've seen this, but some of the challenges that I've seen in working with counselors, providing sexuality counseling, or really even just incoming, coming into the world of counseling is that fear, no, not fear. It's a developmental thing where they're moving from the person who is really, really good at listening, and they were always told by their friends that they were the best listeners and that they gave great advice, and then transitioning into something that is, well, a, a counselor had is very difficult for my students to do that, especially those who don't when dealing with topics around sexuality, it's like, okay, so how do I have that conversation in a meaningful way? That's not like a friend. That's more like a counselor. How
1: do I do it? Definitely. I I would, I would say that that happens mostly in just, in my experience with students who do say they are more comfortable with the topic. How do we help those students make it a scholarly discussion in the classroom and a therapeutic discussion in the counseling room, definitely. And I think that depends on where their spotlight and where their focus is on of I'm so good at this. My friends have always come to me with it, or I'm so comfortable with this because of whatever reason they might have. So yeah, definitely checking in with that of how do they see it playing out then in the counseling room? You know, what type of autonomy, can I already pull out from students like that? Because it's great that we don't have comfort as a barrier. So what do we do from here?
2: I really love that you bring up that point because I think that is sort of, it's a slope that you can end up slipping on. Sure, you're comfortable, but can you you convey it in a meaningful way or in a way that doesn't feel too crass or in a way that doesn't feel like you're taking five steps ahead of your you're going five steps ahead of your client especially around that and i've been i've been guilty of that that is for sure i have busted out sensate focus as an assignment before my clients are ready because i'm like all right let's do this okay and then they're then they don't come back the next week
1: Yeah, that's a really great point that high comfort can lead to that, right? Of like you said, being five steps ahead. Yeah. You know, how to put the brakes on and, but how to also manage that enthusiasm. That enthusiasm is great when a student has it, right? And you want that energy and that confidence in there, but then definitely is how do we turn it into therapeutic versus, oh, sexual topic. This is awesome. Let's talk more about this, but more making it about the client. Yeah, definitely.
0: I think those are great points. And I just want to add that I think in looking into that balance between friend and counselor and a few too many steps ahead and overconfidence, it's really important to learn how to balance that in between, between friend, counselor and not leaning into that like gossipy mode too much or not leaning into that advice mode. Well, this is how you have to do it and this is how it should be. But more, uh, how do we read the client? How do we meet them where they're at? How do we lean into that and really understand on a clinician level what signs and symptoms we're looking for and how we're managing that therapeutic alliance without being too much like a friend and diving in before the client's ready?
2: Well, and I think... This conversation could even go even further. And so I'm hoping you'd be interested in coming again and talking about, like, for those who are seeking how to become a counselor who specializes in sex, maybe we can ask it now. No, we can't. We're right out of time. But maybe later we could talk about, for those who are interested in specializing in sex therapy, what does that supervision look like? How does that look? But that is all about the time we have today. Thank you so much for listening and subscribing to our podcast. Thank you, Reka, for coming. Thank you for having me. This has been fun. We appreciate all of the knowledge that you shared. And I really am wanting to hear more in particular to how do we supervise um, sex therapists or upcoming sex therapists. So in the very near future, you will hear from Reka, hopefully again. The PodTalk Network is working on new podcast shows launching soon and currently hosts the Tech Savvy Professor, the Faculty Meeting, and Grad School Deconstructed. Find out more information about the current shows and the new ones coming at thepodtalk.net. Until then, have a great day.